All right, everybody, welcome. How are we doing? Fantastic. My name's Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. Um, all right. It's always hard to break up the party. But it gives me an excuse. See, when people say, oh, your sermon went too long, I can go, uh, no, not quite. All right. Well, my name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. We are in a series, um, and I'm amazed to say this is week 34, I think. Um, but we finish the series next week, so that's how it works. It takes a long time to talk about the Spirit of God. So um, we've been looking at the gifts of the Spirit, and we've gone through each one. We looked at the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about how the Holy Spirit guides our lives. And today I want to talk about another gift of the Spirit, and it's called the gift of the discernment of spirits. And it's often misunderstood, so we're going to try to help ourselves understand but I often wonder, how do you know when something's from God? Have you ever asked that question? So something's come up and you're like, is this God? God, is this you? Is it, are you asking me to do this thing? Because usually God asks you to do things that don't make sense, right? And usually they're beyond your comfort zone. And usually it's something you don't want to do. That's my first test. When I ask God, you know, how, if it's something I don't want to do, then we start this discussion, right? because I'm trying to talk God out of what I know God wants me to do. And that's just being human, right? But how can you be sure when God leads you to something that seems crazy? How do you know when something that sounds spiritual is actually evil? Hmm. How can you make sure you're not deceived? Well, what has the Holy Spirit given us to be able to tell the difference between things that are of God and things that look like they're of God, but they're not? We're going to explore this gift of the discernment of spirits. I want you to notice two things before we ever get started. First is there's no spiritual gift of discernment. A lot of church leaders will say, well, I have the gift of discernment, so we need to do what I want to do. Scriptures don't talk about the gift of discernment. The scriptures talk about the gift of discernment of spirits. And spirits is plural. Okay? It's not just the discernment of a demonic spirit, it's the discernment of God's spirit as well. In other words, if we have the discernment of spirits, God has given us a gift where we can tell the difference between what's going on of Satan and what's going on of God, even if they look identical. And we're gonna to get to it, they often do. The Holy Spirit gifts us at times to know if something's from God or not. It's one of the ways God protects the church. How can you be sure that God is asking you to do something that's totally illogical? Well, one of the ways is you surround yourself with people who have the gift of discernment. And you pray and you ask God. There have been times in my life when I knew for sure that something was demonic. I knew it to the core. When I walked in the room, I could feel it. It was just, this is not of God. I didn't know anything about what was going on. I didn't have any sense of what they were saying. In my spirit, I knew that I knew that I knew that this wasn't from God. I've also had times when I've seen crazy stuff that I knew in my heart of hearts, in my spirit, was of God. And in the times when I've had doubts, others have affirmed for me, or denied what God was doing through this gift of the discernment of the spirits. 1 Corinthians 12, 6, the verse we've been looking at. 
There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Remember, we've been on this verse for 17 weeks. If you have a spiritual gift, it's not for you. It's for the rest of us, okay? For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, another the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, discernment of the spirits. That's where we're going to be today. Various kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. We've been through all of these. If you want to listen to the sermon, uh, they're all there. Every, every one of these we've been through. Notice that the Holy Spirit is the one that gives the gift. You don't get it. You don't deserve it. You don't earn it. You can't make it happen. It is God's prerogative to give the gifts of the Spirit to those who he decides in that moment to give. You don't own the gift. The gift comes into your life for a moment or for a time. God and God alone is expressing himself through you. You can't turn it off. You can't turn it on. You can't claim to have it because it's not yours. It's God working through you to reach other people through a gift. And when it happens, you know it's not you. You just know. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. There's other gifts like hospitality and teaching and helps and giving and administration. There's a lot of gifts. We've just focused on the ones that Paul mentioned to the Corinthian church. Now, you may wonder, why did I choose to do this? Well, otherwise, we'd be here for like 70. No, the, the reason I chose is that the church in Corinth was the church gone wild. We've talked about this. They lived in Las Vegas to the extreme, and it was beginning to impact the church. And Paul wanted to warn the church that there were things going on in the community, in the world, that had no business being in the place of God. And I've said over and over, over and over, that our church in America today is identical to the church at Corinth. The world's trying to change the message. The world's trying to invade the church. People are going like just flocking to what they want to hear. And so I believe the gifts that God revealed through Paul that he wanted to share with the Corinthian church are the same gifts he wants us to be aware of today. We are going to need the expression of the spiritual gifts if we want to navigate these end times. So when it comes to the gift of discerning spirits, every born-again believer, everyone who's trusted Jesus, everyone who has been born of the Spirit has a certain amount of discernment. We all have it. The Spirit's in us. He's going to reveal to us certain things. It increases as we mature in the faith. The more mature we are, the more we know the Word, the more we recognize what's not the Word, the more we grow and change, and the more the Spirit allows us to discern things going on around us. Scriptures say, be wise. Don't be foolish. Know what you know. Listen to the Word. Paul, or, uh, the writer of Hebrews said this, for that by this time you ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. In other words, you've been following Jesus for a long time. Why aren't you growing? What's wrong? See, the, the, the reason is when we, and I've been over this a hundred times, when we grow in the Spirit, we're not the ones growing. We're the ones surrendering. 
We get out of the way and God expresses love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, forbearance, self-control, and the gifts of the Spirit through us because we're surrendered. If we're not surrendered to what God wants to do in our lives, we don't see these things grow. And Paul's saying, look, you should be teaching and yet I have to keep teaching you the same basic things. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. You see, it's expected that when you become a believer, last week we did our baptism service, when you come up out of the water, that's not the end, it's the beginning. You should be growing in the Word. You should be reading the Word. You should be praying. You should have people around you who teach the Word. You should have people who encourage you to grow in the faith. And Paul's saying, look, you came up out of the water, you're still a baby. That's not how this works. But he says, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Every one of us who grows in the word of God develops spiritual discernment to a level. When you know God, when you know his word, you start to recognize when something's wrong. Every one of us has some degree of discernment. The maturing believer is empowered by the spirits to tell the difference between good and evil. In other words, a born-again believer who chooses to focus on the Word of God becomes more spiritually discerning, right? The more you know the Word, the more you go, whoa, that ain't in there. And we're all exhorted to be spiritually discerning, every one of us. Acts 17.10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if things were so. Paul, he's saying, look, these people are mature. When I say something, they check it. When they hear something, they check it. They're not checking it against what other people say. They're going back to the word. Is this what God is revealing or not? John said it this way, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he that is in you is greater than he who's in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever's not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. How do you know if somebody's speaking truth? Is what they're saying aligning with the word of God? Are they aligning with the word of God? Paul says this, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. Good, I don't want to be uninformed either. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We have a certain amount of discernment in us to grow in our daily walk. 
But there are certain believers. Just like we all have a certain amount of faith, there are some believers that have the spiritual gift of faith. We have people in our congregation and in the church in general that have the spiritual gift of discerning of spirits. The God-given ability to distinguish the truth of the word or the deceptive doctrines propagated by the demonic. It's that simple. There's a spiritual world. You may come in here and go, what are you talking about? Well, the scriptures are clear. There's a spiritual battle going on for our soul and for the world. Some in the body of Christ have been given the unique ability to spot doctrinal forgery. That's really what it is. You listen to somebody teach and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, we just went off the rails. We just went to a place that can't be supported by Scripture. It doesn't involve mystical, extra-biblical revelations or a voice from God. It's not like all of a sudden you get, it's just deep in you, you know, this is not what I've been studying. This is not what God's Word says. And you instantly recognize what's contrary to it. If you know the real thing, you'll know a fake. They don't receive special messages from God. We all use the Word of God to test the spirits. We are taught in scriptures to equally divide the word of God, to test what's going on around us, not to just blindly follow. Paul told Timothy, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but ruins the hearers. So many people in the church today, they're just arguing about words, about things, and it's wasting a lot of time and energy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. See, it it doesn't do you a whole lot of good to know the word of truth if you don't handle it. You understand? You can know all about the word of truth and not apply it. You can know all about the word of truth and apply it only to other people. Right? So what he's saying is, look, you need to know how to handle the word of truth in circumstances, in life, as you're going through your day, and something, you need to know how to handle it. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. In other words, there's going to be people in the church that just want to argue about everything. They want to find one little point and make it the entire thing, and they want to argue it until, like, everybody's following around arguing about stuff. And I'm not saying that you can't argue about the important thing. Jesus is Lord. He did die for your sins. He is coming back. Those are big things. What kind of music you play, what you wear when you come to church, what color the carpet is, those are little things. And then he does something very unique. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth saying the resurrection has already happened. He calls them out by name in Scripture. He didn't just vaguely say, oh, well, some are not teaching the truth. He goes, no, see those two right there? They're not teaching the truth. They swerve from the truth, saying the resurrection's already happened. They're upsetting the faith. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from their sins. Paul not only tells Timothy to handle the word of truth, he goes on to call out and name people who are demonically trying to destroy the church. Now remember, 
The people who come to destroy the church look spiritual. They look holy. They look like believers. They don't come with pitchforks and horns and fire. They come with a Bible, with false humility, and a critique of those God has placed in leadership. False teachers always attack leadership. It's how you attack the church. You go with the head. You attack Jesus, and then you attack the people that are serving Jesus in the church. So Paul calls them out directly and without hesitation. It's very likely that when this letter was read to the church where Timothy was, that they were in the audience. Crazy, right? I mean, he calls them out. And the church, in my opinion, needs a little bit more of this. We nod our heads and we expect people to just understand when somebody's teaching falsely. One of the most challenging things for leaders who have the spiritual gift of discernment at times is convincing people that you know what God is doing. Because they're hearing what their itchy ears want to hear. The person who's come into the church to destroy the church is usually charismatic, popular. They, they seem to teach the truth. They appear spiritual. But yet God is telling you in your spirit, this is demonic. This is not of God. Satan does not dress as evil. He dresses as a follower. And Paul told the church, they're coming in. They're going to try to destroy your church. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Test everything. Hold on to what's good, abstain from every form of evil. To me, this is the luggage at the airport scripture. You know, when you're standing there waiting for your luggage, certain things go by, you just let them go by because they're not for you. We're supposed to be like that when we test what's in front of us. Is that of God? No, let it go. Oh, that's of God. I'll grab that one. Is that of God? No, let it go. Don't waste time on it. What he's saying is you and I need to be able to test when you hear a teaching, when you hear something, when you hear something you haven't heard before, you need to go back to Scripture and test it. It can be very difficult even for mature believers to always recognize within the church what's from Satan and what's not. It's hard. So hard that we often can't do it, so God gives us a spiritual gift. In Acts, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he ordained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, Paul speaking, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. He spent a lot of time. The, the believers in Jerusalem, because they believed in Jesus, were ostracized. They couldn't work. They couldn't get food. They weren't allowed in the temple. So Paul goes to all the churches up in Asia, collects money, and he's on his way back to give them the money so they can survive. On his way back, he decides to stop at his old home church in Ephesus. 
It's out of the way, but he goes anyway. By ship, goes to Ephesus. The elders from Ephesus meet him down at the port, about 30 miles away from where the church was. He tells them two things that are critical. First, the Holy Spirit is leading him to Jerusalem and has already revealed to him that it won't go well. That's what Paul tells them. I'm going to Jerusalem. It's not going to go well. I'm here to say goodbye. Spirit's revealed it to him, but he's going to go anyway. Now, the elders at Ephesus will likely never again see him on earth. That's what this meeting is about. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken and that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. They tried to talk him out of it. He'd heard from God. He's not going to get talked out of it. Paul went out of his way to stop at the church in Ephesus, a church that he had pastored for at least three years and probably more, and he stopped to pray with the elders and tell them goodbye. But it was the message he delivered to them that tells us the greatest concern and threat to the church. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I know that after my departure... When I'm long gone, no longer in this world, fierce wolves are gonna come up and they're gonna attack your church and they're gonna look like sheep and they're gonna come from the inside. And the only thing that's gonna protect the church is your ability to discern. That's it. I'm warning you in advance. They're coming in. I didn't, I spent three years teaching you to be ready and now I'm leaving so I'm going to commend you to God. I have to trust that the Spirit of God will protect my church, Jesus' church that I lead when I'm gone. I'm going to trust that. You as elders, be on guard. Paul's commending them. He's leaving them to God. I can't lead you anymore, he says. He's going to be imprisoned. He's going to be killed in Rome. But he tells them, I know they're coming. And oh, by the way, they're not coming from the outside. They're coming from the inside. In other words, they're going to look like sheep. I commend you to God and the word of his grace. That's Jesus. Note this, which is able to build you up. That's the work of the Spirit. That's what we've been talking about. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit's going to build you up so you'll be better led than if I was here with you, Paul says. And by the way, you're going to have spiritual gifts that allow you to do this. Jesus said one of the favorite lines in Scripture for me, you never see it on a bumper sticker, but if I could do a bumper sticker, this would be it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And here's the Scripture. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Yeah. <laughs> Where the court... Where the corpse is, there the... Let me just shut that down. Y'all turn your cell phones off, all right? Um, there the vultures will gather. I remember one time watching an imposter at my church. Turned to one of the other elders and I said, corpses and vultures. That's what we're saying. The imposter led astray even the elect. The discernment of spirits is a critical protective covering the Holy Spirit gives to the church 
And I believe he gives it in many ways to many of the people who are called to lead the church. We have the responsibility of protecting the church. We have to know when something's not of God and when it is. So it's imperative that all believers mature and test the spirits to see if they're from God. And truthfully, the majority of people who attend churches today don't know the scriptures well enough to recognize false teaching if it was right in front of them. Sorry, but it's true. Several years ago, a large church in our community publicly denounced Jesus. Said he wasn't God. Said he never went to the cross, never really walked on earth, never paid for our sins because we're not under any punishment. They announced that they would no longer celebrate communion or baptism. They took down the cross from their church. They believed the Bible was a history book with a lot of errors and they want to welcome all who would embrace new ways of thinking about God. You could not denounce Jesus any more clearly and insistently than they did. They did it both from the pulpit and in written form. Believers should have left in the masses. Should have torn their clothes. They should have dumped ashes on their heads. They should have called out their leaders in shame and they should have protected their church from apostasy. And yet this church didn't significantly diminish in attendance at all. Their lead pastor stayed, still calling themselves a Christian church. Worse, they're teaching this heresy to a lot of children and the next generation. I meet people who attend there, and I ask them what their church believes about Jesus, and they have no idea. It's not important to them. They stay there because the family has fun and enjoys all the events. If you go to church for the events and fun, any theology works, as long as it doesn't bother you. Church in our community was called out by essentially every church leader and church in the community, and very few, it seems, heeded the warning. Itchy ears, immature believers, weak spiritual leadership, ignoring discernment but claiming to follow Jesus, that is exactly the church that Satan builds. Exactly. It's exactly the church that Paul warned about, and it's exactly the church that's taken over the American faith. So Jesus, Paul, John, they all warned us and told us to test the spirits, test everything. Test what you see on TV, test what you hear on the radio, test what Pastor Frank says, test everything a spiritual leader of God teaches. All believers are instructed to test everything. I'm not perfect. I may say something, I may interpret, I, I do my best, test it. It's not intentional, test it. Some also have the spiritual gift of discernment. Now here's the other thing. Remember I said the spiritual gifts are given to anyone the Spirit decides and they're not based on maturity? Some people have the gift of discernment and they're some of the most immature believers in the congregation. They don't come to this on their own. God has just revealed it to them. So you may face a circumstance where God himself just reveals to you something you would never know on your own. Some truth imparted to you from God that aligns with Scripture and reveals that what you're seeing is not from God. Pay attention to that. It's not just the mature people. The spiritual gift is given to the entire church as he wills. Now notice I said demonic or not. 
Often you'll hear someone with the gift of discernment spirits recognize that a teaching's not from God. But it's the discernment of spirits, plural. It goes both ways. You discern spirits. There are many demonic spirits out there, but there's also the Holy Spirit. Those given this gift recognize, and don't miss this, both. They can tell what's from God. They can tell what's not from God. They're discerning the spirits. They have knowledge from God about what's demonic. They also have knowledge from God about what's from the Holy Spirit. Remember that many times the Holy Spirit leads us to do things that make no sense. Absolutely no sense. Way beyond our comfort zone. We look like fools if God doesn't show up. It could be dangerous. It could be deadly. It may be expensive. It might turn people away. It may make us look foolish. But we have to be able to recognize, is this from God or not? One of my mentors is Tommy Barnett, well-known pastor out in Phoenix, national TV show. He's one of the most humble men I've ever met. One day he heard from God that he was to build a homeless ministry in downtown Los Angeles. He could shake this dream or this desire God had given him to something about the homeless in LA. He was supposed to do something about the homeless in Los Angeles. He validated that message with scripture and he had many of his elders and leaders pray and God spoke through them in this group and he gave several the gift of discernment to reveal to Tommy that yes, this is from God. Yes, we, we affirm this. We believe that God does want you to do something about the homeless in Los Angeles. It made no sense. He wasn't even in Los Angeles. He's the pastor of a large church in Phoenix. He knew no one in LA. Didn't feel called to leave his home church. But one thing about Tommy is once he's heard from God, he's unwavering. He went to L.A., found an abandoned hospital there, actually almost the size of SMH, empty building. It was a flop house full of drug addicts and prostitutes and homeless people who were hiding. Twelve floors, flop house. You can imagine, needles everywhere. But God was already at work at this place 10 years before. So you look at it and you go, wow, God's not working here. Actually, yeah, he is for the last 10 years. You see, this hospital had been at one point the largest hospital in Los Angeles. Almost everyone born in Los Angeles was born at this hospital. It was on Rampart Street, which is where the show Emergency, remember Johnny Gage and Roy DeSoto, remember that? Yeah, yeah, that's why I'm a doctor right now. Okay, anyway... They, that hospital was the hospital. It was bought 10 years prior to this by a secular company. But this particular hospital had a deal breaker clause. And basically what it said was is that that building always had to be used for things of the faith. It couldn't become secular. Hmm. So when the buyout occurred... The building had to be used by God's people or sit empty. So what do you think happened? Sat empty. Building was close to being condemned, been threatened to be torn down. It was worth nothing. But the land underneath it was worth 10 to $15 million. Tommy prayed and offered them $2.7 million. They laughed him out of the boardroom. A few days later, a nun called Tommy and told him they'd accepted his offer. 
Uh-oh. That's when he told him the next bomb. I don't have any money. Is that a problem? They gave him a deadline. Tommy went back to his church. They didn't have any money either. Went to his national TV audience and he asked them to sponsor him. He's going to walk from Phoenix to L.A. Sponsor the miles. 750 miles. He had to have sponsors to give him $3,600 per mile. When he arrived in L.A. on the day of closing, he bought the rundown, nearly condemned building in cash. A few years later, I was asked to join them and help start their inner city homeless medical ministry. Served on the board of city help for many years. Volunteers from all over the country, electricians, plumbers, concrete workers, elevator repair people, thousands drove there in RVs and stayed in the parking lot so they could fix this building and bring it up to code. Floor by floor by floor. As they opened a building, as they opened a floor, they brought ministries in to meet and help the homeless, to help those that were underserved. When I was on the board of directors, we had between six and nine ministries. I think the medical one was number nine. Now they're well over 120. Today, this dilapidated hospital is now beautifully up to code, and I don't even recognize it anymore. I know it from when it was the flop house, a place where you wore boots because needles would stick through your shoes. Tommy called it the Dream Center, a place where God's dream for many who supported him were filled, a place where those who were down and out could start dreaming again. Today, over 100 ministries of God call the Dream Center home. They've adopted a block. They do adopt a block, I think over 70 blocks. Foster care intervention, residential programs, gang recovery, substance recovery, mobile food banks, clothing outreach, skid row ministries, church services, men and women's discipleship programs, under the bridge ministries, and yes, medical support as well. You can read all about it in a book that's relatively old, but it's called The Church That Never Sleeps. The affirmation from God to Tommy and his leaders, the gift of discernment of the spirits that affirmed this crazy, incredible, outlandish, foolish idea was from God. The gift of discernment of spirits is what gave Tommy the confidence to move forward. He knew that he knew that he knew that he'd heard from God. It's how God today stamps his approval on the things of God. When I left L.A., I came back here and I started a medical ministry called Sailing Solution. It's a mobile medical ministry here in Sarasota. We serve the homeless. We served for many years. Um, Tammy and I have been serving homeless now for over 25 years. The mobile medical ministry morphed into the remnant coffee shop. Tammy took our experience in LA and devoted it to building what God was doing there here. That same affirmation that gave Tommy affirmation gave us the desire to move forward. We've sent many missionary teams to the Dream Center. We send a team almost every year. Many of you have been there. We want to have people see the things that God has for them, things that he has that we could never imagine. When you walk onto the Dream Center now, it's like holy ground. Literally, you walk around going, this is incredible. This is what God's people should be doing. When God begins the supernatural, it's hard for us to believe he's going to do it. We don't want to embarrass him. What if he doesn't? When God has affirmed through his will this gift, 
it's not only going to be accomplished, it's already done. It's impossible to you, but it's not to God. Tommy told me one day that most of us never see the supernatural of God because we only walk in our abilities and our comfort zone. We have things that we're willing to do, and that's as far as we'll go with God. But he was surrounded himself with other men and women who had the spiritual gift of discernment. And they affirmed to them, no matter how crazy this idea sounds, it is what God is calling you to do. No matter how many people think you're crazy, this is what God's calling you to do. It was a dream from God. It was as good as done. He just had to walk in faith and watch God do it. It's a wonderful thing. Tommy said he had moments of serious doubt. He'd look like a fool if this failed. He'd look crazy and God would look impotent. In his flesh, everything said stop. But he was surrounded with other men and women who knew how to say go to the Spirit of God. And God affirmed to them that no matter how crazy the idea seemed, no matter how many people thought he was crazy, this deal was from God. They had their doubts. They had overwhelming obstacles. They went back to those early moments when God affirmed and stamped the project. He didn't bring us this far to shut it down now. Every time we had to bring a floor up to code, I can remember sitting in the boardroom, we call it the war room at the very top of the hospital. And we would say, you know what? He didn't bring us this far. Somebody's gonna show up. Um, let me give you an example. Um, um, I, I was called, uh, I believe, to start a mobile medical ministry in Los Angeles. I went out there one night to their church service. I flew out to LA from Dallas. And the problem I was having is I knew that it wasn't gonna be me. God had already affirmed to me, I'm not calling you to go there. I'm calling you to set it up. Okay, cool. But we're about three weeks away from opening and we don't have a doctor. That's a problem. Because in California, it takes a year to get your malpractice coverage and to get your license. Big problem. We literally had a meeting about we'll take the sick people, we'll put them on a bus, we'll drive them down to Mexico, we'll treat them in Mexico, put them on a bus and come back. That's where we were. Church service happens. Uh, Tommy brought me up on stage. We talked about what we thought God was doing in the medical ministry. And, and uh, uh, after the service, this guy walks up. And he says, hi, my name's John. I said, hi, John. I read your book in the Bible. He said, uh, I came here from L.A. Just got in my car and started driving. I don't know why I'm here. But I have a California license. I'm a family practice doctor. I truly believe God's called me here for a purpose, and I was wondering if you would let me serve here. It happened all the time. It happens all the time back there. It's incredible what God does when you're ready. The things that you worry about, the things that you stress about, he's already got covered. You just got to stay in his will and keep walking, keep stretching, keep growing. The gift of discerning spirits affirms for us what God is doing, and it affirms for us when Satan is stalking. And those two things usually are together. Where God moves, Satan attacks. Tommy's example of faith is what inspired me. And that inspiration keeps Tammy now going in ministry. What God started at the Dream Center, he continues here. Started as a medical unit under a tree in Gillespie Park. Grew into a mobile medical ministry in several locations. Morphed into a coffee shop 
And then when God started remnant, he did so, I believe, to establish a church that will hold on to truth and to grow the remnant cafe. We've been used by God to share our dreams with hundreds of volunteers over the years. We partnered with many churches, and what started as a cookout in a parking lot once a week is now serving hundreds of meals, providing tons of showers, giving away a lot of clothes, and every day in the cafe is open. More importantly, our Saturday night church service is the fastest growing service that we have. We baptized last Saturday night. The gospel's being advanced. People are turning to God because they're hungry for the word. Right here in this tiny little church. We're in the process of converting the house in the back into a discipleship house, that way. We wanna have a place where people can be discipled. When they come up out of the water, there's a place for them to grow. Now, most of our volunteers in the cafe come from other churches. We have people from all churches coming in to serve in the cafe. A small percentage of our church serves in the cafe. I want to encourage you to dream a little bit. To join what God's doing in the cafe, Jesus told us to serve those that are less fortunate. Then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Interpret the kingdom, inherit the kingdom prepared for you and the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, that's us, will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. Jesus did not say, oh, well, you went to a church that served the needy. Oh, you supported a church that fed the homeless. He said, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you, I was sick and you. Don't spend your spiritual life sheltered in your comfort zone. Don't. Don't spend your spiritual life hoping other people will do things for you spiritually. Don't. Jesus knows, and I believe, that there were things in your life and heart that he could best accomplish only when you're finally focused on serving someone else. That it's not until you agree to put aside whatever it is you think is important and you start serving someone else that God has your heart in a place where he can actually grow you and change you and me. Jesus came to serve. We follow him. We serve. It's part of our growth. Jesus knew that there are things in your heart, in your life, that are going to be best accomplished. I can do my best work when I finally get you focused on somebody other than yourself. It's not that the least of these need you, it's that you need the least of these. Because, you see, you're here to experience the heart of Jesus. You only experience the heart of Jesus when you're doing the things Jesus did. We're here to serve. Many leave this church because we tend to the least of these. It's hard work, it's uncomfortable. Things happen, it's not normal. but we do what we believe Jesus would do. We want to show, be the church that shows the love and the compassion and the mercy of Jesus to a lost world. 
want to connect with the heart of Jesus, and that's almost always outside of your comfort zone. It's outside of my comfort zone. Tommy Barnett told me many will never see the miracles of God in their lives because they're never willing to step out of their comfort zone. That is so true. Many from other churches come here to serve the homeless. I'm calling you out. Many from our church don't come here to serve the homeless. But we need everybody on deck. Jesus said, you fed me. You clothed me. You served me. How would you answer that question? No real points for sitting on the sideline. Join what God's doing here. If you can't join somewhere else where God is, I'm not asking you to leave. I'm asking you to engage in what God's doing around you. How's the world going to change if we as believers don't get engaged in the things around us? Get comfortable being uncomfortable. It's where we live as believers in a world that's not ours. This world's not our home. You're not supposed to be comfortable. We're supposed to be uncomfortable. We're supposed to be in the place where God shows up. Serve one day a month. I guarantee you God will meet you there. The kind of spiritual life you dream for is right outside of your comfort zone. If you're stuck and you're walking in your spiritual life, and you're, I can't remember the last time God did anything for me. Very good chance that you've never stepped into a zone where you had to do anything. You stayed comfortable. The spiritual life you dream of is right outside your comfort zone, and that's right where God is waiting to meet you and to me. You have to get to the end of yourself before you get to the beginning of the supernatural. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the journey that you've had us on. I thank you for what you ask us to do. I thank you, God, that you meet us in our obedience. Tell us to care about the people around us. You tell us to share the gospel with them. Tell us to meet needs, to reach out. And God, you could do all that without us. But you know, don't you? You know there's something about doing that, about setting aside our priorities and kneeling to serve someone else, helping another human that makes us more human makes us more appreciative of what we've received, makes us more understanding of the people around us that perhaps we've judged too many times. So God, I pray you'd work in our hearts to make us a church that cares, to make us a church that can discern what you're doing and to meet you there. God, protect us from false teachers, protect us from those who come from within and want to destroy Thank you for the gift of discernment of spirits. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for this place. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 